Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 65 of District of Conservation. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to give you guys a brief reminder that I have a few things that you may have missed or that you should check out. First is some of my recent articles from The Resurgent where I discussed a new gray wolf delisting bill, NEPA reforms, and other matters like that. And tomorrow, on Tuesday the 14th, you can check out the third episode of my signature CFACT series called Conservation Nation, where we interviewed some conservation stakeholders who are working on behalf of true conservation interests here in the Washington, D.C. area. I will provide links for all those for you to follow, and you can check those out in the show notes. Brad Luttrell is a co-founder of the Go Wild app, a creative disruptor, and an avid outdoorsman. He came on to talk about their new study on hunting participation and just what's happening in the realm of tech, the intersection with hunting, shooting sports, recruitment, retention, reactivation, and so much more. We also talked about why we like being members of POMA. We can't speak highly enough of that in this podcast and so much more. Here is our conversation with Brad. I'll let him do the talking. Check it out. Hey, Brad. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Excited to chat with you again and see what you guys are up to at Go Wild. Uh, Thank you, Gabby. It's interesting to be on this side of the mic, so we'll see where it goes. I got to interview you on my podcast. Now it's your turn. Yes, Yes, likewise. Yeah, and I think we did a (laughs) Facebook Live video way back in the day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We We did. Yeah, I (laughs) forgot about that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It seems like forever ago, but no, this is great to cross-pollinate, and uh, I would certainly love my listeners to learn more about what you guys are up to. Uh, so briefly describe uh, your background and how you got wrapped into all this, and what led you to start help co-found Go Wild, actually. Yeah, uh, so the, the briefly part I'll, I'll, I'll try to do. Uh, I grew up in southeastern Kentucky. Hunting culture is very strong down there, right? I mean, I, I grew up fishing, too. I'm not a good angler like like you. Uh, I I was <laughs> – but as I, you know, I went to college and after college, I really started wanting to hunt more. I think a lot of people go through that process of, you know, wanting to get back to your roots. I've talked to a lot of friends and I've just seen a lot of people my age come come back to that and really start to appreciate it more. And I did that in my early 20s, too. And, you know, over a span of six, seven years of trying to get better to hunt, I saw an opportunity to create something to really bring people together. You know, Silicon Valley has not if we wait on them to solve something for hunters and anglers, it's just not going to happen. I mean, the, uh, you know, Silicon Valley solves Silicon Valley's problems. That's a very common saying, uh, especially among the Midwest, because, uh, we don't find a whole lot of technology that caters to our unique, uh, way of living, right? It's just very different than, than a lot of the coasts that are so tech oriented. So, you know, in, in being a hunter and wanting to connect with other hunters, I wasn't finding a modern, community. And at the same time, you know, anybody that was on social media during the Trump and Hillary election, and, you know, it was just becoming a really nasty place. And I I think a lot of that spilled out 
200s as well. And, and it was before that it wasn't because of that, but I mean, I just kind of think of the timing of that. It was interesting. And those kind of that combination of a void of a place to be, and also, you know, getting bullied online for hunting in general, just decided to go all in. And I was working as a creative director at an ad agency at the time. And I knew, you know, we, we built a lot of websites and did branding work. And I knew a lot of talented creative people that could get this done. So I uh, partnered up with four guys and, and we founded this uh, around Christmas in 2016 and did a beta the next year. Uh, we bootstrapped it and built it ourselves, And then we, we jumped all in. And uh, I guess last uh, 2018 um, was the first, I was the first one to kind of quit my job with it. And we've really taken it. Um, and we've got almost a dozen people working on it now and it's really grown and expanded. And we've got hunters and anglers and outdoors enthusiasts from all over the country and really all over the world. I was actually talking to a guy. I told my wife how cool this was. Like there's a guy in Germany, you know, messaging me through go wild, telling me how much he likes the platform. And, you know, it's just been crazy to watch it go from something, an idea that was created over uh, some pizza and beer to, to being something that's used um, really across the world. Yeah. You guys really have expanded a lot and it's really cool to witness that because I, like I've mentioned to you in passing and when we finally met up at the POMA Business Conference uh, last year, that that intersection of tech and outdoors really needed to happen. And it's really cool that you guys have carved out a space to do that. So it's, it's really exciting to see what's been happening on the app and how much it's changed. And uh, I would say even more how more interactive it is and, and how functional it is. Yeah. And, and you'll continue to see this, you know, we, we've been um, a, a forerunner in the, the social side on the outdoor space, but, you know, you're seeing, you know, Onyx got a lot of money uh, w within their funding um, for mapping. And then you've seen it with uh, another great app for hikers is all trails. You know, you can look up and find information about uh, trails and I think they have statuses. It's a really great platform. And and then there's even, you know, hip camp, which is like the Airbnb of, camping and then there you you know outdoor access very well which is the mm -hmm. airbnb for hunting and fishing and you know you're seeing a lot of these groups raise venture capital which your audience may or may not care about but what's important about that and and the reason they should care even if you're not into the the entrepreneur space the reason that's important is because if if these uh entrepreneur or these venture capitalists are seeing value in in the space it's going to trickle down you know putting money into something you know these businesses that are um contributing to the industry that's going to create nothing but opportunity for people that are looking to get jobs in the outdoors people that want cool tech in the outdoor space my co-founder zach loves to compare it to golf and, and and you know uh 10 15 years ago uh the the pros 10 or 15 years ago did not have the data that now today's amateur has and i think we're seeing a lot of that happening right now in hunting um you know the this bluetooth aeronox there's you know look at what we did with garmin with the biometrics that you can pull in with your your archery and it just goes on and on and it's really we're still in the early early phase of real how, how far that's going to go yeah it seems like an ever-changing landscape in that sphere yeah. 
Yeah, and, it is. It's changed a lot since we even started this in 2016. I mean, just all those companies I mentioned um, on, on the investment side, none of them had that money when we started this just three three years, wait, what, four years ago. Um, I was trying to think of like, what, what year is it? Um, but, you know, think, things are moving fast and it's really exciting. I, I didn't really, I kind of jumped into the the creating the product. I didn't really mention, I mean, what it is, right? That's the, the big question is, okay, you built something that's kind of social, but what is it? So in, in a nutshell, Go Wild is a social commerce platform. So we allow people to come together to share their activities, what they're doing, hunting, fishing, hiking. You can talk about that. You can share your podcast. You can take this podcast that you're listening to right now and share it with people. You can tag me and Gabby and, and you can track all these activities. You can store your achievements, your best fish, your best deer. We have more than 200 species that catalog your data from, from your achievement. And then uh, we, we, you know, it's got podcasts, YouTube integrations, and it gets really great engagement. Um, uh, your average person is going to get better engagement on our platform than their Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you know, it skews a little differently for someone like you, Gabby, who's an influencer. You know, your Twitter, you get a lot of responses, engagement there. But for your average person, it's got, you know, 300, 500, 600, even a thousand followers on something, a lot of people are finding that they get better quality engagement on Go Wild. And then the final component of that that we just rolled out uh, the last fall is an e-commerce platform in, in which you can share what gear you're using, ask people about gear. And this was, before we launched it, this was the most requested feature we had ever had of people asking for a better way to uh, find and evaluate gear. So we're working, that's going to continue to evolve over time. Essentially what we're trying to build is the place to go to, to make sure you get the, the right gear for the job. So you, there, we have, you can comment on gear, uh, like individual pieces of gear. So if you look at my profile and go wild, you'll see what I'm talking about. You can see the gear that I've logged and each, each individual piece, you know, my, my vortex rangefinder or my first light jacket, there's a page where you can see what other people are saying about that product. So over time is that scales that'll become more and more of our business and it'll become more and more helpful to the users you know we got to get a little bit of network effect and some momentum behind that which is is actually happening faster than we thought it would but the the cool part of that is we make a we make a, a small percentage of any money uh, so if you buy you know that vortex optic and you buy it from you know you forward through to bass pro you buy it they know that we sent the traffic we get a cut of that and we actually donate 1% of our revenue that we make from that purchase back in the conservation groups. So right now we're working with Raising My Doors. Uh, we, I won't announce the other groups that we're looking at for 2020, but we've we've got several more groups that we want to help raise some money for this year too. So, you know, instead of just purchasing and, and your normal purchases you're already making, you can go to that product and you can get some uh, money back into conservation from a purchase and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Yeah, I noticed that platform started to, or excuse me, that feature started to take shape on the platform, which is really cool. And I remember uh, initially when we spoke, you said that you had a lot of uh, users who were in the 13 to 17 demographic. Has that changed? Are there still a lot of young people consuming the, the app? Yeah, I don't have. The, I didn't pull that up and write directly in front of me, but we do have a lot of young, uh, young people on the app. And in fact, one thing that we're considering for 2020 is how can we work with state agencies or or mentorship groups or groups like Raising My Doors to to really help them access uh, to to mentor those kids. I mean, we we did launch a mentorship trail, which I'm proud to say is the. I think mentorship and conservation are the two most followed trails and go wild right now. So, so it's obvious that there's a lot of interest around mentoring kids and, you know, the, 
it has it hasn't changed in the sense that it's one of our larger demographics. It's not the biggest. The biggest, I believe, off the top of my head, is that 25 to 30 year old range. Um, so so uh, very much. Uh, I guess that skews young on the millennial side. Um, no, I think that's about dead center on millennials. Uh, but but you know under that we definitely have them. The the kids range we have them on there too, and it's always really cool to see a kid logging their first deer or their first fish or whatever that is. So um, and then surprisingly, you know, it does trickle down after 55. But a lot of our influencers on the platform are, are some of these guys who I'll, I'll call them old timers. You know, they've got 30, 40 years of experience in the outdoors, and they're sharing knowledge with some of these 13, 14 year old kids on how to do it. And it, it's it's awesome to see the platform bringing them together in that way. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of young people are shifting away from Facebook, especially, and I'm not sure what the feelers are on if they're abandoning Instagram quite yet, because a lot of people I feel like are moving to TikTok or still on Snap, uh, Snapchat, but I was still curious to see if that statistic rings true. Uh, so that's really good to know um, on that angle. And yes. Social media is going vertical, essentially, is what's yes. happening. I mean, you're going to continue to see apps like uh, Nextdoor. You know, what is Nextdoor other than a vertical? It's just about your neighborhood. So yes. the TikTok is is very – it's quick, digestible videos, and it's even got – you know, there's a certain um, – it's almost like a content – type that hits uh, TikTok. I think TikTok's a really fantastically de developed platform. I haven't used it enough to like really to be able to talk about the audience or anything, but they've done a great job building that platform. And, I, you know, there's there's apps for craft beer. There's apps for anything you want to do. You can find a community for it. Uh, Strava is a great example. Cycling. They got 40 million people that love to bike on that platform. And, and what what's happening is like all the complaints uh, around a Facebook are, are because you're hitting people that, you know, you're, you're just not connecting with, you know, you got your aunt, aunt Sue, you got the guy you go to work with, you got all these different characters. And it's just silly to think that everything you post is going to connect with everybody. So sometimes it's nice to have a place to go and, and to be able to connect directly with someone like a hunter or an angler. Yeah, and you can exchange recipes and just so much more. It's really cool. Uh, I've, yep. I've started to try to use the features more and, and populate uh, my account on the platform too. So I'm going to do a better job of that this year in 2020 uh, to do that and especially put like wildlife photography. I think that's a good way to engage with people. And I like that people are more responsive uh, and are growing more responsive on that uh, application and engaging like that. It's really cool. And I wish other platforms would kind of take shape like that too. But we can only wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can only help you with one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. Like I asked uh, a Facebook representative when I went to go meet with them here in D.C. if they have someone who like caters to the outdoor portfolio, but they do not. And I, I know it's not the largest share of users, but it's still a sizable amount of people. And I wonder if they will start to dedicate like they do their political portfolio. Um, so maybe someone like yourself could be like, Hey, Facebook, here's a better way. Or Hey, Instagram, here's a better way to like engage with outdoor folks. But yeah, it'll be interesting because the, the, the only reason I, I wonder if they'll do that is because it, uh, if you read through a lot of the hunting content, especially is technically against the content guidelines. Right. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do with that. You know, we, 
Um, you know, I, since the very beginning, people have asked me like, oh, you think you can compete with Facebook? And and it's like, no, I don't need to. I don't. I, I think Facebook's doing a fine job of telling our audience that they don't want to they don't want them there. So um, someone's going to have the better sandbox. And, and why not us? I mean, I, I don't know of a, a better product on and I, I, it sounds arrogant, but I don't care. Like the I think my team has done a fantastic job of building something that really caters to this audience. And we listen to this audience and I care about this audience. So, you know, Gabby, you know, I, I respond to, uh, I, I literally talked to, um, I can't remember how many thousands of, of hunters last year. I think it was, I think it was eight or 9,000 hunters that I direct messaged with last year. Um, but we, we, at some point during the year, we turned on this automation feature. Um, and I, I don't even remember what point it was, but they were getting DMS for me when they signed up and I do that so I can touch base with everybody. And, you know, if somebody complains about something, I care and I, I listen to it and we, we escalate it and we try to fix it. So, you know, I just, it, it's, it's not, uh, for me to worry about what Facebook's going to do. And I know you're not saying that, but when people ask me about that, it's like, I, I don't worry about them. I wonder how much, like, what can we be doing to better serve that audience than they do? Yeah, that's a that's a good thinking, I think. I mean, I think I view Go Wild as like a supplement to my social media applications and some may take have it take precedent over their other social media platforms, which is cool and I think uh people are have free will to do so. And uh but I think it's a very good supplemental or it could be your primary uh social media application uh for those interested in in doing that. But it, it's a great complement to existing social media platforms. And Absolutely. I cannot, yeah. And I cannot speak. That's how I use it. Yeah. That's how I use it. It's not like, yeah. I, I, you know, people, uh, that same comment of like, you think you're going to compete with Facebook. I'm like, no, I, I mean, I have things I post on LinkedIn all the time that I don't post on my go wild account. Right. And, and I, it's a totally different audience. And I, uh, you know, it's like, it's like how I don't post all my dad jokes that I post on Twitter. <laughs> like my, my Twitter is mostly garbage. I don't know why anybody would follow me. Um, it's like, that. <laughs> it's like my Twitter is all my random dad thoughts. And then, then my go wild account. Like if I want to learn how, like what I'm doing wrong for archery, I'm going to post on go wild. Cause I'll get answers. And if I posted that on LinkedIn, like you said, it's the wrong audience. You know, I, I mean, I, I fully advocate for, you know, using these verticals to learn and if, if I wanted to learn about cycling, I would be using Strava and, and connecting with people on there. I mean, I, I think this is this is going to be the way of the future of finding it's a more rapid way to connect with people. And uh, and, and and you can do it without having to go to a local cycling group and, you know, try to find the, the right one for you. Like I can just start talking to people in cycling and likewise for hunting and fishing. You can use Go Wild or businesses LinkedIn, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything has different purposes. Like I used to post some political stuff on Instagram and I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that because like mm -hmm. every it's more pictures based or video based. So I've learned like to kind of mute that and like maybe insert it a little bit if it's like a general cool business thing that I'm doing or some inter interesting interview I've secured. But I try to keep Instagram as politics free as possible and then leave that to either Facebook or Twitter um, yeah. to do that. But yeah, I think it's, it's good to deviate and, and to separate some things. And yeah. And I think go wild can, can serve a multitude of purposes for that too. But yeah, it's better to, 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 to separate and, and diversify your social media content. Cause it would be boring to like reshare every single thought, um, everywhere, but some people do. And if they have a big enough audience, they can get away with it. But I think for people trying to branch out or break out on social media, it's good to diversify. Uh, I think content. so too. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, how has been the general response by, let's say, the greater outdoor industry at large 
to what you guys are doing, kind of your machinations, uh, your collaborations, has it been generally positive since the last time I asked you guys about this? Yeah, you know what? We we're really striking really well right now with people. I think there was a there was a little bit of a lull. Like I I was kind of surprised. I, I'm new to the industry and I think um, there was a natural pause. And I, at first I didn't know what that was. And I think a lot of it was like, you know what, we just don't want to bet on you guys until, until you're, you've been around the block a little bit more. And, you know, I just keep showing up and, uh, at, at the conferences, I keep showing up in the conversations and we've got podcast content. We're constantly cranking out and we've been talking to really great brands and we're working with really great brands. And every time we land a new name, I think it helps convince the next group that, uh, Hey, all right. If, um, if, if these guys, guys are working with Polaris, they must be doing something right. So that starts to, you know, that starts to tip and, and you do hit a tipping point to where um, we're able to get a lot more conversations today than I was able to in 2018 or, uh, or, or 17. And um, things are going, I, I would say the industry is really warmed up to the, the niche vertical idea overall. There's, you know, we're not the only uh, girl at the dance, um, but I think Overall, we've had a much better time connecting with, with companies as of late. And I think especially, you know, some of these content restrictions didn't even exist. A lot of this was just the bullying that was existing on other social media platforms. But, you know, firearms companies can't advertise on Facebook anymore. And and as you know, there's rumors. I, I haven't actually seen it from Facebook or Instagram. I wasn't able to confirm that they're going to block the influencers. But I mean, the gun industry has gone all in on uh, advertising through influencers. So if that gets yes. shut down too, you know, there, there's not you know, who's, who, what are they going to do for digital? You're, you're going to be really limited. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think more and more, uh, we've, we've had traction with companies for sure. Yeah. I think it's to ban influencers from advertising vaping products or firearms. So maybe, yeah. uh, probably a way that they would go around that would be maybe like advertising the lifestyle instead of the product, which, could be tricky and difficult, but yeah, that certain that move I'm not I wasn't too happy about. I think it certainly would eat away at it, or maybe it'll force. Maybe it'll be maybe something positive. I'm kind of <laughs> uh, a little not so optimistic on that front, but um, I know they are trying to. I mean, I think it's it's wrong for them to do that to discourage it when they don't apply that same maximum to let's say other industries or actual offending industries <laughs> like people actually doing illegal stuff uh promoting illicit content things of that sort but um yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens or if uh gun companies or other companies that fit in that framework would have to uh, find a loophole like just advertising the lifestyle or something else um not so much product placement uh, but influencer marketing could be radically shifted, uh, especially in the industry and that dynamic, um, if that were to take hold. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, I, I, I don't see anything good coming out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, I, I have issues with companies that um, form like the, when you start to form policies on things that are legal and, and, and conversations happening and with, you know, it's legal to have a firearm and it's legal to vape and it, you know, it even gets yeah. into alcohol and things. It's like, it gets really slippery. Where do you, yep. you know, where do you, why, why are they not focusing on heart disease? You know, why are they, yeah. or cancer, you know, it's like, I have questions on, and maybe the cancer is the argument there, but I, I kind of brought that up, but I'm, this is the problem with this stuff. It's like, what do we focus on? for us. And, and you, there's, there's no other way around it than to say, this is a political move. We don't like guns. So we're not going to uh, have guns on our platform and we're not going to allow others to talk about guns either. Right. Um, and, and it, what it does, you know, YouTube is a great example of this. They demonetized firearms, 
uh, influencer, firearms content creators. Mm -hmm. So what naturally happens there is people that are using their platform to teach people about guns. Now, some people are surely just shooting Tannerite, blowing up stuff, uh, and it's not as educational. But now, if you're making educational content, you're teaching people about how to use guns. And, and you've now created a, a, a situation where it's we have less incentive to create content around firearms and how to use them as if that's a bad thing that people know how to use, safely use their firearms. Now, I know in their minds they're thinking – uh, that people are going to these mass shootings, they're learning how to do this on YouTube, and that's what they were trying to prevent. But again, you, you know, it's such a one-off situation. Yeah. It, it's just, to me, it's Pandora's box when you start yep. trying to regulate these certain things, again, that are legal in the first place. Yeah, and with guns, they're constitutionally protected. <laughs> that's right. what everyone forgets. They say, like, well, you have to regulate them like a car or alcohol. And, I mean, even, I don't understand why they're behaving like these prohibitionists, because... Uh, and thinking that if you like cut off that type of content on a platform, they're not going to find other ways. But much of the content I would say on YouTube and arguably on Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter, it's mostly educational. No one's encouraging anyone to commit mass shootings. And I think the platforms do lag behind whenever there are, let's say, users who exhibit red flags because some of the known mass shooters have gone on social media and they weren't able to detect that. Maybe that's what they should focus on rather than punishing people who don't engage in that. But that's a whole nother, whole nother discussion. And I think they could be a lot more effective in that type of realm, maybe cooperating with law enforcement, identifying people, obviously without treading and, and uh, putting any red flags that could trigger innocuous content. Cause I know sometimes when you have them venture into that type of realm, then they could, flag innocuous stuff, but it'd have to be carefully done without abridgments to people's rights. But yeah, it's, it's sad that they just want to selectively take out certain hobbies or products that people use in a legal fashion. Um, but they, but yeah, they don't go after, let's say like pornography or more illicit type of content, um, that shouldn't be on Instagram whatsoever. Like I see too much like stuff that shouldn't be on my explore page. <laughs> yeah, the explore page is an interesting thing because I and I can't I haven't really figured out what the algorithm is, but I mean I've had nudity pop up in there and yeah and you re I so report disgusting. it I, I report it to, out of curiosity alone and I I'm because I'm always interested because Instagram actually files a report and they'll give you a response now and I've yet to you know they tell you if they took it down or if they didn't and I've yet to have any taken down because it doesn't violate the community guidelines nudity apparently is cool like they don't care now oh, <laughs> what I, I've had, I've got I've tested that five times now. Uh, oh. You know, when when it like you said, the explore page when it's popping up, um, I, I've had like probably four or five times of reporting that, and and likewise on the Go Wild account, you know, we've had stuff deleted that was just general hunting content. So they're taking down hunting content. They're not taking down nudity. You know, for me, that's why I'm not very optimistic when I I hear things like, "Hey, we're going to stop letting influencers work with firearms companies." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. I don't know what your views are on the hidden likes thing. I think they should make that type of stuff optional, not mandated oh, right. for platform wide. You may have different views, but it's like, I don't trust them to make engagement on the platform better. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm like you. I shared the same skepticism of them wanting to moderate certain types of content that they might may not like, or that people complain about, or maybe a small minority of people complain about, and then they get, very disturbed or very uh, nervous to anger those types of people who may be vocal on the platform. But yeah, 
I wish yeah, we the, could... <laughs> there's a lot of studies coming out about uh, this, the psychology using social media. And I, I think that more than anything, I think they're trying to get ahead of some of this and trying to figure out, um, you know, how it impacts your happiness. I mean, Facebook's done studies. You can find it. They've, they've done studies on um, how tweaks to the, the newsfeed impacts people's happiness. I mean, they, they know uh, how all don't don't underestimate how much they know about what this change will do to someone's personality. So the uh, and I'm not I'm not being a conspiracy theorist at all. <laughs> this has been widely reported on, oh, on a lot tests. of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I listen to a lot of tech blogs and um, there's a lot of stuff out there about what why they're doing that change. And I'm, I'm not going to speak. You know, I can't speak for Facebook and why they're pulling that away. That one might end up being a good thing. Maybe they're they're, maybe they're pulling that away because of people's, you know, if you don't get enough likes, you feel sad. And uh, I don't that there's studies out there that show that. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on that. I'm I'm really interested in it. It created some dialogue here of of what we want to be. And, you know, you know, uh, we actually the the upvote almost didn't happen. We talked about not having one, and you know it's such commonplace in social media. We decided to keep it. Um, so I mean, there may be a day when we di- we kill it too. I don't know. Um, it it to me, I think upvotes and likes and all that stuff are pointless. Um, what it does is it gives the algorithm something to feed off of that knows what you like. Uh, so it helps them connect you to content. And, and that's why they're not going to do away with that. Uh, like there's going to be some way to connect you to content and cause more people are more likely to like than comment. So yeah. it, it, it does help with that. And, and that may sound creepy, but you know, the same reason, you know, there's a reason that they're really good at figuring out what you like to do and your explore page is going to look different than mine. Uh, although there's still, there's always some stuff in there that's just like weird. You know, you look at one person's profile and all of a sudden you're seeing like raw steaks for the next three days because they think that, <laughs> Or whatever it is, you know, I, I like, or I like get, random celebrities who have nothing to do with your interests just because yeah. you looked at one, one's account. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mine, mine, uh, I get Italian sports cars all the time and like, I have, I have no interest in Italian sports cars, but that's one of those things. <laughs> like I, I get, you know, that all the time. I don't know what it is. So, that's um, funny. but, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're doing that they're, that one. I'm interested to see what they find and report on. The thing is you just, you never know what's happening behind the scenes with that stuff. True. Yeah, some initial studies I have seen, I don't know how conclusive they are, but I want to write about this on my business blog too and how it could impact our industry and then even other industries. But I think some initial studies, I mean, it's obviously a very divisive topic. You have people who are in support of hiding the likes and people who are very against it. And I think one study I saw that was pushed out by a social media examiner showcased that engagement and usage of the platform went down like 15%. Uh, and it was quite a bit of a drop of usage. So I'm like, oh, so maybe people won't go on if if there's no reason to like, or uh, maybe th- this is the principle that I've always seen. Like if you equalize, let's say outcomes for everyone, let's say even on a social media platform, uh, it doesn't really, it, it's not reflective of reality that certain people are, or some may have more likes than others. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing to do to kind of lower expectations or let's say uh, equalize outcomes. Uh-huh when uh, everyone should have obviously the opportunity to have a good experience and excel on a place like Instagram. But I don't know if um, equalizing the outcomes, showing no likes, I mean, except if you check them yourself to know how many likes you have necessarily would be a good thing. And some people have said that it's for like monetization efforts for ways for Instagram and Facebook to drive more revenue through ads. 
So I, I try to look at both sides, but I, I'm kind of in the more skepticism camp <laughs> yeah. on it. You know, it's interesting because even with that stat, you know, you might lose 15% of your audience, but did they find that the the other 85% spent more time? You know, like there's other one you take. It's like a seesaw. You, you, you know, or you put uh, one effort in here and it's going to impact somewhere else. And so it, it, even with that stat, you don't know what else they found, you know, and you don't know what else they've seen. And um, I don't I don't have the kind of resources they do to do those kind of studies. So um, I, I, I can't even project what they might know behind the scenes. And I, I do think I read that they tested this in Australia pretty thoroughly. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I don't, I don't have a strong preference on it. Like I'm going to, I share my content and comments always are the most important thing to me. So I don't, I don't really care about a like, um, you know, for me getting meaningful engagement with people is through dialogue. So, uh, maybe, maybe that's their effort. I have no idea. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I would like to see conclusive evidence pointing, uh, in support of, or against the measure, but I think they should just make it optional. If you don't want to see likes, hide them. If you want to see them have the opportunity, but, uh, I don't know if they'll hear, hear someone like me with yeah. that type of opinion, but I think that could yeah, be a good either. compromise. Yeah, uh, me either. They're not listening to me either. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I wouldn't completely toss them out because I actually think in, when it comes to greater like national security stuff, I think Facebook has been pretty good about, I mean, despite their problems with some data sharing, obviously, uh, they've been pretty good about not really entangling with China and some of the more uh, regimes that are even worse with data than our government. Um, so I think they're listening to, to users a little more, more stakeholders. So it'll be interesting to see if they adapt and if these changes do perhaps put people, uh, put, uh, them in better graces with people. Right. So I want to ask you about this new survey you all put out recently at go wild. I am still perusing through what you sent me, and I promise I wouldn't reveal any further details, but I wanted you to give a snapshot of what your findings are, what led you guys to conduct this, and how it deviates from, let's say, other standard bearer surveys that have come out from, let's say, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, how does it differ, and what prompted you guys to put it out? Yeah, a lot of this... Uh, I'll start at the top with like a high level overview. So, you know, we have this entire lifestyle that's really undocumented and, and what, a you know, there's an industry operating on a lot of assumptions and, and empirical knowledge. So you have a lot of people that have worked in the industry for 30 years and it's based on what they've seen. But the problem with that is you start to get in an echo chamber and you, you're constantly talking to people who are really active, whereas you might have a casual audience that, you know, makes up 60% of hunters and you aren't getting to know that audience as well. You know, uh, marketers, I've been in marketing for 10 years now, and a lot of times the the client we would work for was their own worst enemy because they thought they knew the audience the best because they've done this the longest. But really, without getting the data, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, um, it, what our hypothesis was, we were, one thing we were kind of that interested us was that maybe the industry is kind of making some things up as they go. And and I'm in the industry. I, you know, we wanted to know more about this audience for ourselves as well. So with this study, we had a few hypotheses. The the first was that many of the stereotypes around hunt, hunters are just wrong. You know, and I'll tell you what I mean on that in just a second. But the second theory was that much of the industry's actions were were based on incorrect assumptions, and therefore 
possibly negatively impacting hunting because we're essentially creating this perception that hunting is hard, hunting is expensive, it's inaccessible. So I'm going to walk through those two uh, those two hypotheses first, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what we found. So you know we've all heard the the well the first one was that the stereotypes are wrong. You know we we really had a gut feeling that you know I don't, I don't based off what we were seeing. You know we have it's not like we only have a thousand hunters on go out. We, we haven't publicly announced how many we have, but it's a lot of freaking people that we're watching. And, you know, um, we, we, it's not like we're reading messages or any of the stuff that Facebook's kind of gotten in trouble for. It's, it's more like we can see the type of content people are, are sharing, where they're sharing it, how often they're hunting, because they tell us that they just lock, they log their time. So a, a lot of our interest was, you know what, I think there's some misconceptions out there around hunters. So, you know, you've heard that hunters are all trophy hunters or don't hunt for meat. Married hunters either leave their angry spouse behind for the season or, or they have to hunt less. And young hunters and hunting influencers have this image of success. You know, you think that's a very common perception right now because of social media. And, and with this one, you know, you can easily connect the dots. It seems to make sense. Like, oh, they don't have a spouse. They have more time. They, they're constantly sharing their knowledge and all this content of them quite literally killing it. Right. But in truth, you know, only 1% of hunters hunt for the trophy alone. Now that one's not from our study. That was from one with responsive management. Um, and, and, you know, that one's a very, you can Google that and find, uh, they, they did a lot of, uh, digging into why people hunt and, and whatnot. And, uh, it fueled a lot of the curiosity about what other stereotypes we might have wrong. So our study found that married hunters have more confidence in their ability and they have their full spousal approval. I mean, by far, uh, it's, it's really crazy. And, and we also found out that, you know, the influencer image perception is wrong. Your average papal or, or your older hunter, uh, they out hunt the bros or the influencer or whatever you want to call them. However you want to cut this up, if you're 65 or older, you're about 15% more likely to be successful in a season than someone that's 25 and under. So we'll, I'll get into a few more interesting takes. Uh, but that, that first hypothesis was really looking at, the the married hunter, the young hunter, and the older hunters, and, and seeing where maybe some miscategorizations are wrong. Because, you know, come hunting season, here comes this flood of memes every year about the girlfriend, the wife crying, and, you know, uh, all these, it's just like the same stuff every year in and you're out. It's all wrong. I mean, it, yeah, there's some funny ones out there, but it's all wrong. So the <laughs> second the second hypothesis was that the industry is hanging itself. And, and so recently, some research came out that companies spend more in advertising, uh, or the more companies spend in advertising, the more the overall population's happiness decreases. Now, this isn't my research, so I don't know if I buy this in its entirety. Uh, and and the correlation doesn't always equal causation, but I do think it brings up a strong message that modern advertising's approach to selling is to make something more desirable, right? So, the best way to do that is to make someone feel a need, not a want. It's I need that to do this thing. You know, I, to feel validated, I need to own this car. To fit in with my friends, I need to buy this jacket. Whatever that is, that's that's very much how advertising works is to make you make a purchase. So what better way to do that than to feel like you have to have something? So overall, you know, it's my personal opinion, opinion that a lot of hunting brands have created a narrative that you have to have expensive gear to hunt. And, and that makes sense, right? There's selling expensive gear. Uh, Gabby, you know, from, from our, our relationship and, uh, I've known you, you're one of the first people I met in the hunting industry. You know, I came from advertising. So, I mean, I, I, this has been like, I'm a copywriter. My job was to literally write copy that convinced you to buy something. So, you know, our study though, 
proves that that this is having or, or there or there is some type of cause that is causing a negative perception within hunters overall uh Young, younger hunter. Oh, well, actually, I'll circle back to that in a second. Uh, some other things that we found with this perception, um, you know, overall younger hunt and especially uh, single hunters are intimidated by their lack of knowledge. They, they uh, all hunters are, are less likely to hunt because of budget constraints. And, and to quote the study, you know, hunters struggle to know not only where to hunt, but they believe they can't afford it. And when they do hunt, they, they see less success. So if you think about that, hunters are hunting less because of budget. And, and that is a perceived problem, right? They think they don't have the budget to go hunting. And that's really sad for me because, you know, you don't need a big budget to go hunt. Now, sure, uh, you know, expensive gear is great. Uh, I, I have some really expensive gear that I've acquired over the years and it, it makes me moderately more comfortable when I hunt or it makes something moderately more attainable. Uh, but I, you know, when you think about if we're going to bring new people into this and we, we put a $2,500 price tag on the front, just the entry, you know, that's, that's a huge barrier. That's a huge problem. So, it, it, you know, uh, if we make hunting have this really expensive perception, we're going to have a hard time getting more people into it. You know, I can't personally afford a, tr <coughs> a trip to brown bear hunt, but, but pretty much anybody can go out and chase whitetail or turkeys. You know, that's, that's something that's very, or, or squirrels or rabbits, you know, however small we want to bring the game down. Um, th that's something that should feel very attainable. Our findings with young hunters should hopefully course correct some common industry thinking. You know, we really want to, to help people focus on the narrative that they're creating. And I'm not saying that brands with expensive gear or high-end gear can't that they shouldn't exist or that they shouldn't market. But I think when uh, they are, they really need to have, you know, think about some of the content they're creating. And and we work with First Light. And I think First Light's the best example of what I think a good marketing plan and strategy does. They create a ton of content helping people uh, learn to hunt or know the best way to hunt or know how to butcher your meat. They make it feel really accessible. First Light's a high-end piece of piece of gear, but they don't tell you that you have to have First Light to do it. They're, they're really teaching people the lifestyle. And when they're ready and when they've learned a whitetail hunt or, or elk hunt or whatever it is, you know, and you need to upgrade to, to that gear, you really want to, you want to take it to that next level. Then when you're ready and you want to, you'll, you'll choose their brand. It's, it's a different philosophy from the, the over branding to like, you can only do this with this thing. And, and so the, 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 the synopsis there of that kind of long on that second hypothesis is that, you know, really overall, we hope we see the industry start to, to do, you know, what, a lot of what the Council to Advance the Hunting and Shooting Sports is doing with R3 to focus on recruitment, to focus on retaining and reactivating hunters. And, and it doesn't always have to be to sell the 2020 latest and greatest thing. You know, there's Absolutely. a little bit, there's a little bit of responsibility to each brand to worry about the future uh, because otherwise, you know, we're already on a short timeline here with the boomers aging out of, of hunting. You know, I, I, I don't know exactly. I think it's seven to nine years left in that, that demographic projected. That's a third of hunters. All right. So where are we coming up with all those other, those licenses that get purchased every year? Those are real dollars that are going to be lost. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a short-term vision for brands. If even if you are killing it right now on your sales, you know what? What about the next decade? What what's going to happen in 2030 if this is how if you, you haven't uh, built a more sustainable industry? So that was the, that's the biggest you know takeaway. Uh, I'll pause for a second to see if you have any thoughts on that, and then I can kind of throw out some other. There's a few other little tidbits here and there that we found that were interesting. 
yeah, that's good that it has an overall goal of trying to help potentially offset the deficit we're going to face in that time frame you set out. So I, I like hearing that it has that goal, too, of trying to be like, how do we remedy the problem to uh, repopulate, let's say, this aging out population of hunters with new ones and have them sustain the sport for longer? And I totally agree. As a neophyte hunter myself, I'm now in my third season, I guess, of hunting now. Uh, I have done my best to budget my gear, my clothing, uh, things of that sort. I, I don't want to spend a killing, and I don't think you have to unless you're warm, comfortable, and uh, well-adjusted to to partake in the sport and cause the least amount of noise as possible and emit the, the least amount of scent <laughs> yeah. out there. So, yeah, everything can be practical. And name brand attachment is really cool, and I, there are certain brands that I really like and that I wish I could afford <laughs> to, to get and invest in. But, no, definitely as long as it's comfortable, you can go to Cabela's or something simple like that and find what you need for a budget and have a successful hunt like anyone else who may have a more uh, expensive wardrobe uh, to go hunting, for instance. But yeah, definitely list off some more uh, stats. What else did you guys find out? Well, the, uh, the one thing I'll follow up there is just to say I have killed a lot of stuff in my Walmart cotton bibs that are like worn <laughs> out and faded. I mean, you can go and do this on a budget. See if you like it. Go buy, you know, you can buy a budget 30-06 with a, a pre-mounted bore-sided scope on it and be deer hunting, you know, in a week. Uh, you know, go take your safety, hunter safety, all the, do, you know, operate with all the, the proper protocol, but it doesn't have to be hard. So, uh, other insights, you know, interesting. I think you had Buck on pretty recently, right? Buck Robinson. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had, yeah I so, had, yes. A few episodes ago. Yep. Yeah. So this is interesting. So, um, you know, I, I I've kind of chatted with Buck and Jamie a little bit about this and, because uh, because they're the land guys. So, you know, we found that land access is not the barrier it gets made out to be. And the the it's not even it's not number one for either single hunters or married. And it wasn't even top three for married hunters. And so I asked Buck and Jamie about this. And, and full disclosure, I work with, um, you know, uh, I mentioned First Light a second ago and I mentioned outdoor access just now. Those are clients that go wild. Uh, but, you know, I asked those guys like, hey, we're finding that land access isn't the top barrier. And it's not like this is bad news for them, right? They're the Airbnb of hunting land. But um, what they offer is the, for them, they're, they're growing so quickly. And I, I, the reason I, I said, basically like, what are you guys seeing? And they're seeing that it's time. You know, the, the, the biggest convenience for outdoor access users is like, it's close to home. It's easy to do. This makes my hunting season so accessible, and, which is a different narrative than what you hear. Gab, Gabby, I know you consume a lot of hunting content. You know, everything you look at is land, 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 land access, land access. Nobody has access to land. It's not... It's not number one for either single hunters or married, and it's not even top three for married hunters. It's the fourth concern for married hunters on why they don't hunt. Yet everywhere you look, all anyone is talking about is trying to help people find access to land. We need to be worried about helping people find the time, making hunting feel accessible, making them feel like it's budget friendly, right? It, it's it, it, This is a huge misconception that, that people have is that people don't hunt because they can't find a place to do it. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, because you always hear about complaints of certain things, but maybe the findings are different, and that's good that you guys uh, looked into that a bit more. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, again, Buck and Jamie are finding similar. This isn't a study that's scientifically proven. It hasn't been, you know, uh, we haven't, we'll we'll try this again, uh, maybe at a different point in the year, even to see if we can get the same results, but uh, it's not scientifically validated. I guess is what I'm saying. However, it was done by my my co-founder, my business partner, Zach, who is a data scientist with 10 years of experience. He's got a master's from Northwestern. It's also not done by just, just anybody either. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if other studies, you know, I know Buck and Jamie are seeing some similar results. Uh, I hope some of the other groups that are out there that do this kind of stuff will start to look at some of the questions we're posing. But uh, that was a really interesting one. So it also seems that spouses are most likely to hunt together pre-kids and when their kids reach adult age. So this should be concerning because it could mean, and I I don't exactly, we didn't have the data framed exactly to be able to figure this out, but it could mean that we're not rearing a a new generation of hunters. And and here's why I say that. Um, If if people are hunting, you know, we we had the data to say that they're hunting uh, with kids before and afterwards, but we we don't really know what's happening in that middle phase if they're just not hunting. You know, our study didn't exactly dive into that, but if we overlay some other studies, we were able to figure out, like, you know, people typically start having kids at 26, which is when when spouses stop hunting together, and, and, uh, you know, people start hunting with rifles uh, in that middle age um, because it's easier. So when you think of how can we, you know, get people out more, it's it's not bows, it's not expensive gear, it's not land access, making hunting easier, making things more accessible, that like in terms of time, uh, making it feel like something you can go out and do it for a few hours, right? A lot of people hunt that way. It's not as much like this full day excursion or you have to hike 20 miles. Um, that That's not going to do us any favors with that imagery. It, it, that's making it feel, I mean, yeah, it's cool. I would love to go out west for two weeks and um, go into the public lands and chase elk with my bow. Um, I hope to do that sometime very soon, but like that's not attainable for everybody. Um, we also found that young married hunters struggle the most and they have drastically different spousal approval rating. They're 22% less likely to receive uh, maximum spousal approval to hunt. So, so the young married hunters are, you know, uh, I, I can speak early days in, a, in your marriage are you're figuring each other out. Even if you've been, you know, you could have been living together forever and things just change. Right. So there's a lot of flux and and so we found data that says that like that's a time when it's going to be hard to hunt so they they just see they they see we found out actually they see less success when they hunt uh which could be due to lack of time hunting um but you know overall that's a very trying time if you're a young married hunter you know it's kind of the data says to get ready you you might not be going out as much as you did before um at that period and you if you do you might not be as successful um this is this is a funny one. Uh, single hunters think about hunting more than they do finding a future spouse. No <laughs> yeah, that was, that was oh, just wow. fun. Uh, and uh, I think that's that was the the major ones I pulled for you today, just to kind of take a look at. I mean, there's other stuff in, in the survey that we found. Um, you know, if uh, the survey itself is for sale for for uh, brands. 
any media members, I know you have a lot of media members that listen to this. We're giving them out for free for media members. So people can reach out to me directly if they want to find out more and Poma members get a discount. Um, so, so, and I've actually, I even started giving out some small brand, uh, business discounts. So people want to hit me up if they have a small business and, uh, they, they just need to let us know what they're doing and, and we'll check it out and see if they're eligible for that. But, you know, there's a ton, I haven't even touched, scraped the server. This is a 27 page report. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And I think for marketers, you're going to find things that, you know, you're just targeting your messaging wrong or, or ways you can do this better. And, and as a journalist, I think a lot of uh, content creators, and I'm a content creator too, we have a blog, we have a podcast, um, you know, we we need to be aware of this stuff so we don't continue to further these misconceptions. You know, we don't we don't want to continue to uh, make it sound like people, the, hey, listen, spouses approve of hunting it's not funny anymore like let's let's move on to something else let's find a new topic right that was our hope with this let's let's kind of move hunting along let's bring it into this more modern context and and find the other things we should be worried about which in my opinion is that hunting feels inaccessible because people have budget work and time constraints yeah it shouldn't be complicated and i think yeah lowering any barriers to entries using any findings that you guys have could certainly help. And it, like Buck has talked about and many other people I've spoken to, yourself included, they've said it should be much easier than advertised and actually is a lot easier than advertised to go hunting. It's just a matter of putting in the effort and being a good sport and l listening and, and learning a lot, not so much uh, expecting you're going to get something. It's it's a ov overall all-encompassing type activity. So that's what people have to learn. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my hope for anybody and, and we preach this in all of our content and, you know, is to just just help other people. You know, I uh, I saw, you know, my buddy Sam, you and I know Sam uh, with Wild, the Wild Initiative. He was talking yes. about somebody, somebody was trying to pick on him for um, not having killed a, 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 like multiple mature deer the other day. And they were, they were giving him a hard time. And I'm, it's like, how does he have a podcast when he's uh, not even shot a, a mature buck yet? And I'm like, you do know what? that Sam, like you do realize like his podcast was called living country in the city because it was about his pursuit to learn to hunt like lose the attitude that people yeah. have to do that like it's like yourself you said you're three seasons in you know uh, it's ridiculous to think that you would have a mature elk a mature whitetail that you've in you know, three done years or, goodness yeah. gracious no it's, it's crazy <laughs> you're, 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 but that's the same timeline that uh, sam's on and people are bullying him for it that's and it's like you know, there there are there are parts to this that are hard. It doesn't mean you can't go out and try it. But if that's the attitude that everybody has, we're going to have a whole lot of people turned off to hunting. So I, I just really want to get past this, um, you know, this idea that y y people can't be they have to be good from the beginning. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. What uh, I can, I'm having a hard time thinking of this. Maybe you can help me here. What other activity do we do that? You know, if you play uh, intramural sports like, or like a after work basketball and you suck, nobody cares. If you play golf and, and you go out with your buddies and you suck, nobody cares. So why do we do this in hunting? I, I, I have yet to think of another example of this, of like somewhere where we bash the crap out of each other and say that they shouldn't do it because they're not, they're not good enough. And, and it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't impact that person. I don't know why we, we have this, it's, it's a, it's a really nasty, like troll mentality that we see in hunting. And, uh, it's not everybody. It's not, it's not even a majority, but the trolls, you know, voices on, on, uh, especially like I see this mostly on Instagram. I mean, it, it, they speak loudly. I mean, when you see that stuff and there's whole Instagram accounts that are just full of this crap and 
you know, I hope it goes away. I hope 2020 will be the year that we all realize that, uh, you know, pardon my language, but our heads are up our ass with, with this stuff. <laughs> it's all good. I, you know, I, 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 I hope people will see the way forward. If you love this lifestyle as much as you claim to, take somebody hunting, teach somebody how to hunt. And if, if you do that on our platform, awesome. If you do it on Instagram, that's awesome. I don't care where you do it, but I really care about hunting and I want, I want it to continue. And, you know, I'm here to use our company, our podcast. I, I think you saw the podcast we put out like in defense of hunting, I'm here to do whatever I can to, to, to help it along. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a great, you know, some, I don't have tons of mature deer and elk and ducks uh, hanging on my, uh, walls either. But, you know, I, I hope that I can do if I can do something, if that's me having a platform that we've created to help people get out there and f to be able to connect with a lot of the people that are on our platform that have done those things. Awesome. If that's my role, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, that's a, that's the spirit. I think that's the attitude everyone should have. Uh, where can everyone connect with you? Go wild. Uh, any final parting thoughts? But yeah, let's yeah drop that, where everyone can connect with you guys. Happy to. Uh, well, the Go Wild app is available on iOS and Android. Um, fun fact, I'll tease this. We In 2020, will be the year we hit desktop. Um, we're, oh, we'll, very nice. Yeah, we haven't released that information in many places. Um, I think it might have been teased on my podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here. Um, that'll be that'll be coming up in the first half of the year. And so so but for today, uh, we have iOS and uh, Android. We do have a Garmin sync integration. If you want to import some of your Garmin activities into Go Wild, you can. You can find me on Go Wild. I do answer every single DM I get on Go Wild uh, within usually about 48 hours. Um, I am on Instagram as Brad Luttrell, L-U-T-T-R-E-L-L. -L. I'm on, I know you, I, I don't normally pitch my LinkedIn, but I feel like you got a, you got an industry oriented um, following yeah. on your podcast. LinkedIn, so. LinkedIn is great. It's a great tool. I definitely yeah. recommend everyone to be on it. Yeah. They should connect with you there too. Uh, it's LinkedIn. Uh, I mean, it's, it's my second favorite platform only to go wild. <laughs> I love LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I, I get, I get, I learned a ton of stuff there. I, I think everybody should be on there to further your career. So I would I, I, connect with me there. Uh, would love to, to meet some people. I'm also, I'll, I'll do this too. I don't know when the show's releasing. Um, but I'll, I'll be at ATA shot show, great American outdoor show, NWTF, and I might even be at some other stuff in between. If you're going to be at any of those things, hit me up. Um, if I if I can at all possible, NWTF I'll be really flexible. But uh, you know, shot and ATA are a little busy, but um, happy to try to meet up with people too. You know, we're we're all about uh, meeting up with the individuals. I'm not. We don't care if you're an influencer or anything. We love to meet new people. Excellent. That is very good. And I think I should be there towards uh, the end of the second half of great american outdoor show i'm working out the details so we'll definitely catch up then if uh, i find myself there but the worst case i'll see you in nashville for poma later on this year but yeah i will make sure everyone has those details and uh, can connect with you awesome thanks gabby thanks for having me on and giving me an You're opportunity welcome. to talk about our work anytime thank you again for coming on you bet if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and any participating platform out there. You can also download past episodes, about 63 in total, for your listening pleasure if you want to catch up on any missed episodes from the holiday season or anything spanning back to our first episode to learn more about what this podcast hopes to accomplish. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so you'll never miss any guest announcements or topic discussions if you follow us there. So be sure to hit follow if you find us on social media. 
We will be having many more guests throughout the year, more policy topic discussions, and so much more. So thank you for following and listening and hope you have a great start to the new year.